Hello, hello, hello. This is Sean, your host of Room 9 Podcast. Episode 32 coming at you, y'all. In this episode, I sit down with a wonderful human being by the name of Angela Torito. She works for Landmark Health Systems, which is downtown Buffalo on Franklin Street. And I just randomly got a hold of her just going through people online of who I should get and try to get in contact with and try to see if they'll respond to doing, you know, an episode of Room 9. And she responded. So here I am about to give you this episode to listen to. In this episode, we kind of touch on a lot of things. Landmark Health Systems is very, very progressive, which is awesome to see because you feel like over here on the East Coast, we always are dragging our feet to getting things done. And over on the West Coast, there's so much further ahead as far as trying new things for the healthcare system and mental health and all of that. But in this episode, we talked about EMDR, which has been around, but ketamine, they do ketamine for depression there. If we touch a little bit on that, we touch a little bit on psychotherapy and hallucinogenics and just the beautiful things that are coming up in there. And there was probably quite a few moments where we got off track where I felt like I was getting my own free personal one-on-one therapy session. So it was pretty awesome for me to be able to uh, experience that. But I hope you guys enjoy this. Before I let you get to it, just a reminder to get to room9podcast.com, fill out a contact form. I say this every week and nobody's doing it, so let's do it and I'll stop saying it. <laughs> um, get to the support page if you feel like helping us spread this message that Room 9 is doing. Shout out to my aunt and uncle, my uncle Jerry and Aunt Paulette Anderson, now for the second month in a row have given me $100 and that's just awesome and encouraging and humbling to see people believe in this, especially family members who I have wronged in the past and they have just seen this change in me and believe in it now. And it's awesome. It's encouraging. It's humbling. And I don't know. I don't even have the words for it. It's amazing what this whole Room 9, the podcast, the coaching, the presentations, which by the way, I have a presentation out at Horizon Village in Sanborn at their gymnasium at 6 o'clock. That is 6.18 at 6 p.m. at Horizon Village in Sanborn. If you are around, I'm almost sure anybody can stop in and check it out. Make sure you do that. And that is it. Oh, recovery coach. If you know anybody who wants a recovery coach, contact me, room9podcast at gmail.com is my email. And you let me know because right now I can't officially offer it with Room 9, but I am working with Save the Michaels. So if you contact me, we will set you up with them and then we can start working together. So anybody you know who wants a recovery coach and that's just basically somebody who completely is there for you and your recovery, let me know. Room 9 Podcast at gmail.com. All right, episode 32 with Angela Torito. Absolutely love sitting down with her. I could have sat down and talked with her for hours. She's an awesome woman, and I hope you guys enjoy it. All right, talk to you guys later. Wait a minute. You're Sean Cuddy. That's right. How are you going to know? You're Sean Cunningham. Stop asking fucking questions. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. You better believe it. Oh, you better believe it. Come on. You're Sean Cuddy. That's right. That's right.
yeah, the, the last episode I did too, I had my window open and it was actually kind of nice. At first I was getting annoyed by it, but I could hear the birds. Oh, really? Yeah, the birds chirping, so it was almost like we were doing it outside. All right. Some people do podcasts outside. It's not that annoying. No, now that I have a good program to edit it with, you can kind of get that all in the background. And so none of it's overwhelming, but I was using this free recording program and it just could not, in order to get rid of it, I had to make the voices sound robotic almost. Yeah, it was driving me nuts, but. All right. Well, thank you for having me here. Absolutely. I'm glad you uh, answered. I was surprised actually how quickly you answered. I usually try to answer people quickly. It's one of my uh, pet peeves when people (laughs) don't answer me. You got to get back to them. Yes. Yeah, I particularly was happy you because I was reading all your your background and your schooling and everything. And I was like, oh, this sounds right up my alley from the psychotherapy to the mindfulness. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you, you seem to have a very broad, um, what am I, eclectic, I guess is the word I'm looking for. Absolutely. Of, uh, you know, education and all of that. Mm-hmm. So what is what do you tend to, what is like your go-to? Because I've seen mindfulness, I've seen CBT, I've seen DBT. CBT typically, but I'm kind of, like you said, all over the map, more more eclectic. Um, I just added EMDR to my little tool mm-hmm. belt. So, um, Do you see good results with EMDR? Yes. Because mm-hmm. I've never, I have never participated in it, but I mean, I've read and learned a little bit about it. And most people that I've talked to say it's really helped them in, with trauma and stuff. Yes, um, definitely. Like you kind of see results right away because you're emotionally raw, like right after. So um, I tell people to try to like re- um, welcome that feeling because that means your brain's processing all that trauma that you didn't process. What's what's the science behind that? So the science behind that, and this is what they told us in um, the training, is um, that basically what happens when you experience trauma is that it gets trapped in your neural network on the right part of your brain. And it can't access any of your coping tools. So that's why we haven't you haven't processed any of it. Um, so the point of EMDR um eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing, the eye movements, bilateral stimulation, or you can use tapping. Some people aren't uh, very good with the eye movements. Sometimes they get vertigo or just makes Mm -hmm. them sick or something. So like tapping on their knees or they have machines that you can hold in your hand that are like tappers. Um, And what that allows you to do is kind of like a bridge to form in between the two lobes of your brain. And you're able to start utilizing those coping tools that you have stored in the left part of your brain to access that trauma so you can start reprocessing it, desensitizing yourself from it. And basically like the point of the framework is to reframe it for yourself so that you see it in a more positive light. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I I tell people all the time, one of my biggest things that scared me going through, I remember I was sitting in jail at, you know, at the peak of my addiction when I was just in the darkest spot. I remember sitting in jail. One of my biggest things was like trusting my own mind because the psyche I've just, what I've read in my time, just dabbling and reading in psychology, I've just have had a love for psychology and philosophy at a pretty young age. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from what I've read, like just the mind is you can believe something with your whole heart that you want to do it. And totally not actually believe it or want to do it, right. but really think you do. So one of the biggest things is I never have, like, I've always been very skeptical of the thoughts that have come up. Like, is this really what I believe? Is this really what I mean? Mm-hmm. And trying to deal, you know, as far as with trauma, it's crazy how powerful the mind is. Like some people, especially when you're a child, that something can happen to you and you completely do not remember it, like not even a second of it. And that was one of the things, oh, yeah. something that has dumbfounded me reading some of those cases, whether it was somebody who was, you know, molested as a child or whatever, and they don't even remember it. Right. Until they do something like that Mm -hmm. and they have an experience and then it's just like a flood of emotions and you're almost like you're experiencing it all over again. Yes. And that is is crazy. So that's why I'm very interested in the EMDR because I've known a few people who have gone through it and have done it and they've all said it's helped. This guy I was pretty close to in one of my 30-day rehab. He was in Iraq and like went through some some shit, and wow. he said that really was something that helped him him a lot, you know, facing his trauma. So what's really helpful too is like the therapists that do EMDR have to actually experience it in the training. So you had to like somebody did it yes. with you, okay? So we all had to do it. 
And did you did you see benefits in that? Yeah. By doing it? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, actually, so I'm like, I went and visited my therapist, and um, I'm like, well, we need to start EMDR. Really? Like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to try that one day, if I can ever afford a therapist. That is something I realized, because I think it's been such a stigma to have a therapist. Yes. Like, you're weak, you're soft, and one of the biggest things I've like learned in my, you know, as I've been growing up is how much more strength and bravery and courage it takes to actually go and talk to somebody and try mm-hmm. to figure out your own shit. Right. And Absolutely. That is a huge stigma. And so I've been trying to like encourage more people to do it because I've, I've seen just, I mean, vulnerability in general mm-hmm. is a, such a difficult thing to do, but yet I feel like it's the main component to authenticity. Absolutely. To really change in, you know, some your own life. I think what's really frustrating is something that you just said, um, I can't afford it. That is so frustrating (laughs) that not everybody has access to Mm -hmm. good mental health care. That is super frustrating. In fact, I was was in a Facebook group doing some networking the other day, and somebody mentioned about rehab and not being able to afford it. And then another person said, oh, well, I'm from the UK, and it's all free for all of us. Yeah. And I'm like, well, you know, America's got to put dollar signs on everything. Mm-hmm. And it's extremely frustrating. I know people who are in rehab and their health insurance is telling them you don't need this any longer. Right. And that is the most dumbfounding thing to me. That you have people who have no idea who you are as an individual human being saying you don't need treatment anymore. <laughs> right. Yeah. They just kick you out. And it's based on notes that your therapist and, and mm-hmm. rehabbers writing and, you know, might not be all the correct information or and it's just based on protocols. And they go to meetings and oh. say, well, this is what it's going to be now. And we're going to kick people out after a certain amount of time. It is. It's so frustrating. It is. So I, I understand the the dangers of socialism, but two things that I feel should be completely free is healthcare and education. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why those things are not free for every single human being in this country. I don't know. It holds a lot of people back. It does. Absolutely. I mean, I even think about people who are coming out with $50,000 in debt in school that, you know, you're not going to even want to take any entrepreneur risks and start a new business. All you're worried about is paying off a damn loan. Right. And it's just, it's insane that we do not provide free education for people. I don't understand it. And healthcare. Yeah, no, I agree. It's crazy. My cousin was, he's gone pretty much all bankrupt. I'm trying to remember. I don't even remember what the hell he had. Great cousin I am. (laughs) (laughs) But he was in and out of Buff General, you know, for months and months and months and lost his job. And I mean, even his company was like, we can't keep giving you this health insurance anymore. You've been gone too long. Right. And he's just, I mean, he had to file bankruptcy. And it's just, it's such a terrible, messed up thing that you don't even take care of your own people. Right. That's crazy. It's really sad. So, all right, we're getting way off, way off topic. Tangents. <laughs> I tend to do that quite often. I love tangents. Oh, yeah, that's the way to go. That's um, the basis of this podcast, really, is I just have always kept it a casual conversation. And that's some of the biggest compliments I had. People were like, oh, I feel like I was just having coffee with you guys in the mm-hmm. room. And I was like, well, I'm going to keep that vibe going. Right. To not have any specific. I just don't want it to. I hate it. Sound like an interview. Yeah. No, I think some of the podcasts that I listen to mostly, like the ones that I really enjoy are mm-hmm. usually just conversational. And like, yeah. yeah, you're in the corner of the room kind of listening to them. Mm-hmm. All right. So EMDR, mm-hmm. CBT is probably was one of my favorites of learning about in, in rehab and all that. I mean, what are your thoughts on it? How do you approach it when you are sitting down with a client? Um, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> approach it is kind of, it just kind of comes to you. Mm-hmm. It's not really like a, and when you're a therapist, you're kind of just sitting here trying to be in the moment with a person and like, you, you know, your training is in the background, mm-hmm. but you're trying to be a person as well. And I think that's most effective is when you're with a person and you've got your training, but you're also like your personality's there. Auth- and I think that's really yeah. important. Yes. Being authentic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And getting, I mean, obviously that makes your client comfortable and keeps them from, you know, shutting down. Cause I definitely see that, that most people tend to obviously do not want to open up and do not want to talk about the crap mm-hmm. in our lives because who the hell really wants to do that? And one of the, I think, obviously, you have to go through that in order to, you know, 
work and fix things in your in own individuality. Right. So to have that comfortable, authentic, authentic, you know, person in the room with you, I think is obviously probably number one thing. I think Carl Rogers was one of the biggest, you know, proponents of that yes. as far as mm-hmm. just becoming authentic with your client. Yep, that's total like total basis behind his uh, theory. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's one of the one of the proponents of that. Yes. Yeah, he he was an awesome guy. Who is uh? So who would be your your favorite throughout the uh, psychotherapy history? I don't even know if I really remember too many. <laughs> to be honest with you, I think uh, I always used to laugh when I see like Freudian stuff, and mm-hmm. um, I never really kind of stuck with that. I was never really the type of person to like take that history it's interesting Mm -hmm. but um I was really interested more in like abnormal psychology like that really interested me and then actually like my first um uh internship in in college I worked with people with like schizophrenia and we actually went to their homes which was really interesting to see how people live and um that illness is really interesting some of the smartest people you'll ever meet I know yeah it's crazy. Well, Carl Jung was was always fascinated with schizophrenia, mm-hmm. and I remember he talked about that a lot. From at least from what I've read of his and understand of his, <laughs> right? He did. He he always said there's something that is fascinating about people with schizophrenia, yeah, and how intelligent they are. It's almost like they're in a different dimension. Mm-hmm. I um, when I worked on the psych unit at ECMC, I used to have I used to love like our conversations that I would have with some of the clients that would come on the floor. It was uh, very interesting. Yeah, it's so. As much as we understand things, we don't understand anything. No. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to the human brain, and yeah, schizophrenia is definitely one of them. That is for sure. What is your like experience with addicts. Do you have a lot of addicts that come in here? I guess I hate that term. We're not supposed to use that anymore. People with substance use disorder. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, pretty good amount of people do come in here with substance use disorder. Um, I try to focus on like the mental health portion of it, mm-hmm. though. You know, it's really helpful to have that background. That was my first job in the field was chemical dependency. Okay. Um, and I really was not, to be honest, was not interested in working with people with chemical dependency. It's, there's such a stigma. Mm-hmm. Um, even worse than having like a mental health issue, if you have like a substance use issue, there's such a stigma. When I finally got in the field, I really enjoyed working with people with substance use issues. So I'm really happy that I have that experience and also like the experience working at ECMC on the inpatient floor. It just makes it helpful working with people like in a private setting to have that eclectic type experience. Like so the people that you're working with in recovery, Mm -hmm. do they get recommended or is it just kind of... To me? Yeah. Do people get sent from a rehab or outpatient or somewhere? Um, I get a lot of referrals from like Psychology Today and then also like uh, local clinicians will refer people to me as well. Okay. And within the practice, um, the psychiatrist that I work with is also an addiction uh, medicine specialist. Okay. So we do like buprenorphine here. We have a clinic for that. So you prescribe. And I've seen you guys... Do medical marijuana yeah, too? We have medical marijuana um, and we just got uh, ketamine. Really? Just ketamine, yes, for treatment resistant depression. Awesome. What do you, what have you, what are the results you've seen with that? Because I know some people are probably, you know, that's more a really so good question. That than the marijuana. Um, I know that we started it, but I don't actually know like what happened with the particular patient that we started it with. So I'll have to find out about that. That doesn't really help right now, but. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's interesting because I know I've heard there's so many. How do I always end up going to this topic? Probably because I'm a huge proponent of psychotherapy with hallucinogenics. Mm -hmm. And I just have seen the wonders that can do and have read it. I know there's such a resistance, but I feel like there's finally like a push where it cannot be shoved away or hidden anymore. The beauty of the results of just having... A beautiful session where you are whether it's lsd i've seen mushrooms mdma i know mm-hmm. there's that group maps that does oh yeah great work with mdma mm-hmm. and ptsd and there's just so many incredible beautiful things that i have read and seen and even in my own individuality when i have you know taken it alone and you know whether it was lsd or mushrooms and just uh the beauty that i've seen in myself and been able to work on things and change things and 
I remember I was at a, when I was at my 30 day, I remember talking to this kid and just kind of, cause like I said, I've always had this psychology mind and when I'm talking with somebody, like I just want to, you know, try to figure them out and mm-hmm. listen to them and get to know them. And I mean, it took me like 45 minutes to get him to bring up his dad. So I knew like, all right, there's something wrong. Obviously there's something there with his father and what is it? And I just remember thinking, I was like, man, with like LSD, it t- like all those walls that you want to protect yourself and you want to hide things and beat around the bush and not have to like say directly are just gone. Right. And it's, and I think Timothy Leary said that you can do 10 minutes, a psychotherapy session, 10 minutes, as opposed to 10 years, somebody who isn't taking, you know, a substance. Mm-hmm. And I've just see this big wave and I'm very excited for it. As yes. long as, I mean, obviously now I don't want to go around and putting it in the water system and have everybody tripping, <laughs> tripping balls all day. Cause obviously there are some dangers that can happen, but right. there's so much, so much beauty with it. Yeah, and absolutely. I'm very excited to see what the next decade brings with that. So I'm excited to be a part of this practice in particular, um, just because the doctor is so open to stuff like that. So if that ever was an opportunity for me to like train and Mm -hmm. use um, psychedelics in the practice, I think he would definitely be totally open to it. Yeah, it seems very, very, I mean, if we're using ketamine, you're definitely ahead of the wave on the east, eastern side of Mm -hmm. this country, for sure. Yeah. I have not even heard. I mean, I've heard that's coming around, but I've not heard any practices using it. So it's a it's a drug called esketamine. So it's a different, a little bit of a different okay. molecule, and it was recently um, approved by the FDA. It's a nasal spray. Really? Yes. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So it's pretty fast delivery system, and you have to stay here for about two hours. Um, we have like one of the rooms. We have like uh, couches where you can lay down, and okay, um, you're not allowed to drive home afterwards. Naturally. You have to be monitored monitored your blood pressure I think every half hour or something like that just make sure it doesn't go over a certain mm-hmm. amount so you've so you've only had what one person I think we've had, had more than couple. one um I'm so busy I don't we're <laughs> all so busy that we don't get a chance to like sit down and talk and necessarily talk so yeah sometimes it's just like in passing really quick yeah that's interesting I'd really like to read more up on that because yeah yeah, I've not heard anybody doing that. It kind of like gets me pumped up around here. It's awesome. Yeah, it's, it really is. And so you, so they have to wait here two hours mm-hmm. and it's mainly used for depression? Yes, depression. That's what it's approved for. Okay. This particular drug is approved for, for treatment resistant depression. Like how often, how long, how big of a dose do people usually on average? So it's, I think once a week, it might be a couple times a week initially. And then... Um, it, they move down like to a maintenance phase like once a week um, and it's kind of like tapered off from there. Okay. I wish I would have known that we were going to talk about this. <laughs> I could definitely happens. give you like better um, <laughs> an idea of what that is. Yeah, that, that's what happens here at, at, on the <laughs> nine podcast. Okay. <laughs> we just go all over the board because that was something I needed was something different because I can't just I appreciate the 12 steps and AA and mm-hmm. NA and you know, I can I can go to meetings and I can pull something good out of it every time I'm at one and learn something. But it just I can't do like two even two a week sometimes is over blast for me. Like okay. I need something different. Right. And there's not enough stuff like smart recovery. There's there really is not enough out there. I don't feel for people who don't connect with AA and NA. Well, and they really push like ninety and ninety two, and if you don't connect with that, mm-hmm. that's really tough. Yeah, there's no way in hell I was doing that. Yeah. I went to three meetings in two days once and I was like, I'm done. Wow. I'm done. I like, I can't do anymore. Mm-hmm. It almost, um, I always joke around. This is going to make me relapse if I go to any more meetings. <laughs> People, but that's true. <clears throat> yeah. No, it very much well is. And I think also there's, I mean, you have to go around because there's awesome meetings and there's crappy meetings. Mm-hmm. I mean, as much as they don't like this comparison, it really is like church. There's awesome people. There's awesome Christians out there mm-hmm. that have awesome churches. And then there's other ones that are just can't even spend two minutes in and okay. are very culty. Yes. And I just know I needed one of the biggest things I realized going into rehab. My first thought is why do people, how do people with like 10, 15 years clean relapse? What is that mm-hmm. that happens? And one of the biggest things I started seeing that was repeated from these people who were you know going through relapses after relapse was they just kind of got overconfident and they got very cocky okay and thought they were just they were good i don't Mm -hmm. need to do this anymore i don't need to work on my recovery it's been 10 years i'm fine okay and then the next thing yeah they wake up and 
you know, a two week binge sleeping in a trap house. I was like, what is that? And that's what I found. And when I came up with a quote for myself very early on in rehab, like, I know I got this as long as I know I don't got this. I saw that. I really liked that. Yeah. And that's something I just, that's what I say that Mm -hmm. to myself every day, because I mean, out of everybody in this world at this podcast and what room nine is, who it's helping is me, Mm -hmm. number one, because I have to do work on it every day. Mm -hmm. And that reminds me of where I've come from. Right. And it constantly keeps my recovery. And I think there needs to be more stuff out there for people who want to look into hallucinogenics or ketamine therapy or whatever it is that medical marijuana, I know that's shunned upon still very much so. Yeah. And it's just, it's frustrating because people like, and it's, I think this is a, in every case of life is people get a belief that worked for them and they just stick to it and act like that's the medicine for everybody else. Mm-hmm. And that is one of my biggest frustrating things. It's like, just because that worked for you, it doesn't mean it's going to work for everybody else. If that was the case, we wouldn't have addiction. Right. <laughs> and it's one of my, you know, I'd love to push that out there. And I've had topics on, I actually told my buddy the other day, I need to do an episode on the 12 steps because I haven't touched it. Okay. <laughs> out of 30, this will be episode 32, 32. I'm doing with you now. Okay. And I have not really touched it. I kind of, t- first two episodes I was di- I did them with my roommate mm-hmm. and he's he was really into it or really is into AA and we probably talked about it a little bit more but other than that I have not since he kind of stopped doing this with me okay I have not done it any more of it so I was like all right I gotta actually put some in there if I'm gonna be you know gonna preach that I'm balanced and fair about you know everybody trying a different way <laughs> sure yeah well I mean it's it's helpful too for just people in general I think the 12 steps getting to know that um, yeah, a lot of those things is, is helpful. Some of the principles, especially like making amends and you know, resentments yeah. and definitely helpful for people. Yeah. And people even without, re- you know, addiction. That was mm-hmm. one of my coolest things about this is it's centered around recovery, centered around addiction and substance use. But I mean, I can apply anything that I love that as far as helping your, you know, your own individuality and growing as an individual, you can use. Right. Because to me, that was always the main issue with addiction is not really the addiction itself. Why are you using over and over again? What are you running? What are you trying to escape? What mm-hmm. is it? Even what's if it's just, yeah, what's the underlying issue? What's the root? And I think it's Dr. Gabor Mate says, and that's not why the addiction, why the pain. Okay. And he just, he has this huge place in Vancouver and he's done just years and years of work with the inner city of Vancouver and addicts. And it's just, he always said, it's just so much pain Mm -hmm. out there for people. And that's why I can talk about mindfulness and everything else. And I know that's something you also had on your website. Yes. Mindfulness. Mm -hmm. Do you go more towards like meditation? Do you go towards just mindfulness in general just being in the present moment when you're really depends on the person so some people can are really gravitate towards like meditation um or some people like really can't do that and they get really frustrated by that i think that's a conversation that i have people (laughs) with people a lot like i can't meditate okay well maybe we can do some mindfulness and that might mean like crocheting and listening to a podcast Mm -hmm. you're still being mindful maybe that doesn't seem like it but you're not thinking about all the other things spinning around in your head. Well, that's it. I mean, that's what it is. Just being in the present moment, mm-hmm. no matter what you're doing. You can be washing dishes right. and being mindful mm-hmm. just every step of the way. It's a very beautiful tool. And the more you pay attention to it, the more you realize just that our monkey brains are everywhere. Yes. Oh my God, they are everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it, it, is, it is crazy how chaotic it gets up there with the um, the two different voices you have going on, the voice that says something and then the voice that critiques it. Right. And it's just very trippy and weird what is actually happening. And to be able to start calming that is just such a beautiful tool mm-hmm. that I can't believe it's taken so long to even take off over here. Oh, you mean like in the in States? In the Western, okay. yeah, and just in Western culture. Okay. It's, I mean, it's been around for thousands and thousands of years. That's and, true. Yeah. And it's just taken so long to start. Because I probably got into it, who got, probably 10 years ago. Probably in my early 20s, believe it or not, before my addiction, which is hysterical to think about. But I remember <laughs> uh, yeah, reading uh, Alan Watts, I think was one of my, he's one of my favorite people who, uh, Kyle Young did a great job of it too, bringing Eastern and Western thought together. Mm-hmm. And it just always excited me to think about the whole quieting the mind and meditation can be frustrating oh my gosh oh yeah (laughs) and i've been at least an inconsistent meditator for probably six or seven years okay and it's just still it's like oh i'm 
going to strangle somebody. Because right. when you first start off, you don't, like you said, you don't realize how crazy your brain is and, mm-hmm. you, you know, your thoughts are. And you actually think you're meditating until you're doing it for a couple of weeks and you realize you almost felt like you got worse at it. First. I remember questioning it. Did I get worse at meditating somehow by meditating okay. more? And as I've kind of quieted my mind, it's like, oh, all right. I was, wasn't even meditating because you're so used to this racket going on. Right. You don't even notice it. So mm-hmm. it takes a while to even realize that you have the racket going on. That's a good point. Yeah. And it's such a such a beautiful thing, I think, that needs to be, I mean, taught more. So I'm excited like that you use that with a lot of your clients. Yeah, I use that. I mean, a lot of coping tools. And I think it's really, it's really important to remember, like you mentioning, like what works for you, what works for you might not always work for you. Mm. So having the ability to maybe go to a therapist or someone that's supportive of you and, you know, kind of talking about, okay, well, this isn't really working for me anymore and being open to trying something different because it's not always going to work for you. No, we definitely uh, change as individuals. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> that is for sure. Where did you Where did you go to school? Madai. So you went. You graduated from Madai. Yep. Mm-hmm. And you have your master's. My master's in um, clinical mental health counseling. I think is what they're calling it now. Well, yeah, that's the language thing. It drives me nuts sometimes. Somebody asked me about that the other day. It's just a bunch of words mashed together. It doesn't really mean oh, anything. Oh, even in like even in recovery, it's like well, we're going to use substance use. We don't want to use addict anymore. We don't want to have any. And I understand it. I mean, to me, I always laugh. Like my girlfriend would be like, if you weren't a junkie, you know, we joke around about it. Right. You know, not that I would go around calling people that I'm working with that. But to me, it's always I've always been like, it's just words. Come on, let's not get into that. So I understand it. But it is it's hard to keep up with Mm -hmm. how they're changing everything up all the time. Oh, yeah, (laughs) it is very hard to keep up with for sure. I don't even know how they keep people informed of how quickly they're changing it. I think you just screw up and someone corrects you and you're like, oh, okay, (laughs) thanks. I'll do that next time. Yeah, it's nuts. It was something I'm like, wow, we need to settle down a little bit. But I think that's a whole culture movement, too, that's happening with words and hard to be vulnerable then. Like, you know, going Mm -hmm. back to that, like if you're so worried about the words that you're using, then I'm just focusing on that. And And then it's hard to be authentic. Authentic. I'm not able to be vulnerable with you. And I'm just up in my head making sure that I'm using the right words. (laughs) Yeah, it's very difficult to be open and vulnerable when you're, if anything, whether you're thinking about, like you said earlier, your training or your education. All right, I have to go do this. And yeah, people read through it like, I mean, it's so easy to see. All right, she's just being mechanical or he's just being mechanical. And that I don't could be want anybody turnoff. to think that I'm ever being mechanical. <laughs> no, no, I imagine not. Especially when your job is to get people to open up and and be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I think initially clinicians too, and then also like when you learn new techniques, you're very mechanical until you kind of adopt your own way of talking to people. So that's kind of goes with the learning process, I think, at least for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you're just able to be yourself. And I think that's what's most important when you're with a therapist is like, you've got to pick the person that most aligns with yourself. I mean, that goes, I guess, with everyday conversation. Mm-hmm. When you feel comfortable with somebody, you're going to open up more to them and talk to them about things. And I mean, that's what I guess we all want, essentially. I'm sure you've seen the Brene Brown TED Talk vulnerability thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That was another one. I always joke around, but it kind of seriously was the cause of my divorce originally. Really? Um, About seven years ago when that first came out, because... Oh, yeah, I was married. I had my daughter was just born. I had a son that was six at the time. And I remember watching that and I was like, hmm, maybe that's something I need to start doing more of. And I remember just really practicing becoming like open and talking about my feelings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then so my wife at the time, she's typical, stereotypical man, work, don't talk about drinking beer, watching sports, <laughs> playing sports, tough guy, only show sarcasm. And okay. Your anger, that's it. You know, mm-hmm. just that stereotypical man. And then all of a sudden, now I'm going to cry in front of her and talk about my feelings. And okay. she was like, I remember she was just like, I did not sign up for this. Really? <laughs> she was, she did not want it at all. And that's, yeah, that was, um, I always joke around, but it kind of essentially was the cause of my divorce, which was pretty hysterical. It's funny, but it's probably a good thing in the long <laughs> one, right? I mean, Absolutely, I'm sure you don't yeah. want to be with someone who doesn't no, accept you as you grow. No, and doesn't want to accept the real me, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it was definitely, obviously not at the time, but definitely was a blessing. 
Right. Well, now that you look back at it, I'm mm-hmm. sure. But oh, yeah. no, not at the time. I'm sure it turned your life around. It did. I mean, I, you can say that for really. It's one of the biggest things I've tried to share with people on, on my journey is even my addiction. Mm-hmm. I, I wrote a blog called My Paradoxical Addiction, and I talked about how as much as I would never want to go through what I've been through again, through jail, through the darkest depths of my mind and everything else, as much as I don't ever want to do that or wish it upon anybody, it was making me the, the awesome human being I'm becoming today. Right. And it's made me learn, it's made me develop, most importantly, self-compassion and love and forgiveness for myself. Mm-hmm which was the number one thing that I needed in my life because so many people around me that believed in me that knew I can do awesome things and change a lot of lives. But they were always just like, even my girlfriend, she's like, if you don't believe that, there's nothing I can do for you. Like, I can't do anything else if you don't believe that for yourself. So that was one of the biggest things that I have pulled out of my addiction was self-compassion and love Mm -hmm. and developing a confidence. It's okay to screw up learn from it and move forward and you know right. keep pressing on and it's just so crazy how tragedy can actually do that and it's almost like I, I remember saying at the end of my blog it's almost like you can take this pointless meaningless at least something that seemed pointless and meaningless and painful and give it meaning right by, by learning from it and moving Absolutely. on and I mean that's like the number one thing we all want is meaning and connection mm-hmm. in this world and that's something I've just been trying to push forward as I move forward to everybody I come in contact with. Yeah, that's interesting that you say that. Thinking about like going back to the history, it seems like you really enjoy the history of like psychology and everything. Viktor Frankl, who's very mm-hmm. um, one of the ones that I maybe gravitated towards, me not being a huge history buff, but um, he's one of them, like finding meaning in mm-hmm. your, your tragedy. Um, and that's something that I talk about a lot, I think with people. And I've talked about my mom recently with that. Um, she, I noticed she feels super guilty about a lot of things like with me growing up. And mm-hmm. I'm like, mom, like that made me the person I am today. Like I'm a therapist because of all of that today. Then there's no way that I could be uh, the person that I am without that. So I'm sorry that you feel guilty about it, but I don't. Please don't <laughs> beat yourself up about it anymore because it, it's helped me. As painful as it was, it's helped me a lot. Mm, yeah, and that's it's so awesome and powerful to be able to say that about something shitty that's happened to mm-hmm. you in your past. Yeah. And I, you know, I've actually, it's funny because I've had that conversation with my mom because my brother and sister died when I was 15. Oh, wow. And I have a little sister, but my two, my older sister, my older brother died. I was 15 and my sister, what is she, I think six years younger than me. Okay. So I always tell people I had two different parents Mm -hmm. growing up. I had uh, pre and then, you know, the prior because they were completely different. My mom was, my mom became pretty soft (laughs) after After? I knew I could start getting away with a lot more. Mm -hmm. And, but I always told her and she always said, I feel guilty about that. And I was like, you can't. I mean, you just can't because I, those are, I always said, those were the parents, my sister and I, we needed, Mm -hmm. we didn't need a strict mother that would have. At least I know for me at 15, that would have pushed me away and because I was looking for any reason to shut down and okay. not talk. And, you know, the stricter she would have been, the more I would have done that. And I've always shared that with her. And it's just, you're right. These are experiences. If we want to, if we want them to have meaning, I think it's super important just to grow from them Definitely. and learn from them. And even if it takes 10, 15 years to learn something from them, that's fine. You still give it meaning. Yeah. Find the meaning, and if it takes you 10 to 15 years, that's fine too. Because mm-hmm. I went through this dark, nihilistic life is pointless and meaningless, and what is the point of doing anything? Mm-hmm. You know, basically fatalism at its finest. <laughs> and I was like, what is the point? And then I think I was reading. Again, what little I can understand of him, a, a Nietzsche book, uh, The Will to Power or something it might have been, but that doesn't really matter. But I was reading it and he talked about it like being meaningless and pointless, but you know, that's what makes it awesome because mm-hmm. now you can take all, it takes all the pressure off. Essentially, that's what he said. It takes all the pressure off and you can give it the meaning you want to give it. Oh, okay. And I thought that was one of the coolest things I read. And I almost like I snapped out of this like dark depression thing. I was like, yeah, that's right. I can do whatever the hell I want. <laughs> well, oh, he like validated it for you at some point, it sounds yeah. like. Yeah, he absolutely did. Yeah, and I thought that was like, all right, cool. I grew up in a strict Christian home. Okay. And I, you know, grew up thinking, just believing in the Bible for, you know, at least probably first 10 years of my life 13 years of my life and I remember like starting to get this mind of questioning things like Mm -hmm. this doesn't make any sense this doesn't make any sense and I was shut down very quickly in my household when I would start questioning it yeah 
So I went on this, like, basically the thing you grow up in, you end up hating the most, almost. Nice. You know, when it's gross. So I was, like, just totally, I would talk trash to people. I try to get people wound up, including my mom and sister. And that's mm-hmm. just bullshit, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, now you learn to kind of let people go. But it was one thing I was just like, oh, I'm not having it. I'm not having it. But there's so much now that I can sit down and, like, take from the Bible. Sure. That is, you know, that is awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, or any theology in itself. There's so many good things. Yeah, definitely. If you, as long as you don't take it for like exactly Realism. what it is, yeah, <laughs> maybe some metaphors and here and there. I, I do. It's funny. I had recently had a guy that I went to the church that I grew up in, and he wanted to meet for coffee, and he wanted me to do something for the website for the company he works at. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I did a drag and drop website. I have no idea how to code or do anything with websites. But he ended up. We ended up talking, and then he sent me a message, and he wants to like go through this book with me about why. Christianity is the real thing. And I'm like, I can't. I'm sorry. I was like, you know, I was trying to figure out how to respectfully say it. I'm like, I just, I can't. I don't, I don't have the time. Sure. <laughs> and it's just, oh, it's so funny how that the past, how you grow up and hate it almost mm-hmm. the most. Did you grow up in any kind of uh, specific um, theology? I was baptized Catholic. And then I think my mom took us to a Presbyterian church. But I remember questioning a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then kind of not my mom shutting me down, but them shutting me down. And like quickly. Um, yeah. yeah, like Sunday school and stuff, because I'm just a very curious person in general. And mm-hmm ask a lot of questions, which can be annoying for some people, I guess. But uh, I guess I annoyed them when I started asking a bunch of questions (laughs) and they couldn't answer me. That is one thing I I made sure never to do with my son because he's just like me in that area. Like he just wants to know why, 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 why? Mm -hmm. Why does this work this way? Why does this happen this way? This doesn't make any sense. Why doesn't this make any sense? How can you make sense of it? And that's just how, and I've always, if I didn't know an answer growing up to him, it was, I never once would, I made sure I would never be like, because I said, Said so because of this because you know makeup because god did this or it's like mm-hmm. I, I, I was like bubba i don't know we have to we have to look that up okay you know let's go do some research on it yeah <laughs> and that was something i just made sure i would not do with my kids is i don't care if you want to believe in christianity or whatever any kind of religion that's fine mm-hmm. but don't ever stop asking questions because that's so important i think so yeah yeah it is super important. And we got way off of addiction and recovery. Oops. I keep doing that. It's my life. That is a habit of mine as well. Especially, I remember when I was texting you, I was like, I have a feeling we're just going to rant about things pretty much. Yeah, probably. That's okay. Which is another, you know, again, I always find a way to swing it back and mm-hmm. relate it to recovery some form. Which really isn't difficult to do because anything you're doing to improve yourself, as I said earlier, really helps your recovery. Right. That's why I can just kind of basically talk about whatever the hell I want, which well, is pretty awesome. Yeah, I think that's why it's important. And I think I mentioned before that, like, you know, when you're when I was a substance abuse counselor, like I never really tried to focus so much on that. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, that's what you're here for. Yeah. And we need to talk about that. But that's in the periphery. We need to talk about everything else that's going on. And I think it's it's frustrating for people when you start like focusing that like in the center. As if that is, you know, the exact, their identity. Yeah, that's not your identity. Um, we need to focus on everything else that's going on. Yep, that is definitely important because, again, we always feel like the past is defines exactly who we are. But we can find meaning in it, yeah. right? And then, it, well, it doesn't, yeah, one mistake doesn't define who you are as a whole whole human being or an individual and it's something that we carry our mistakes around sometimes with us like we have to you know keep it and hold on to it and oh this is me this is me right my my heroin addiction is that's me that's it Mm -hmm. and that's one thing i think why they're trying to change a lot of language like you know you're not just an addict you're also this and that and you know everything else and Mm -hmm. i think that's probably why the number one biggest reason why they are constantly changing words up on how we talk yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely <laughs> for the better, <laughs> I think, definitely for the better. But at the same time, it's 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 frustrating, I think, for some people. It is. Yeah, well, to keep up with it is very, yeah. very difficult. That is for sure. Yeah. Rolling my eyes. I'm the queen of that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. I think I rolled my, I think, it might have been the smarter I rolled my eyes. Like, she's like, did you just roll your eyes at me? <laughs> I was like, no. <laughs> she's like, you did. You just rolled your eyes at me. <laughs> Which I don't, I don't ever do that. I don't even know where it came from. I think I was cranky and tired. Oh, okay. I was like, why did I just, why did I roll my eyes? I have no idea. 
your kind of final advice, I'd like to kind of just throw this random vague question out there to people, which I actually probably haven't done for a couple episodes. So just adv- for anybody, if we don't even have to be somebody who's in recovery, just somebody who is, you know, struggling with mental health, mm-hmm. struggling with, you know, getting their lives back on track and you know, finding some kind of enjoyment in life. What are your, you know, some of your suggestions on how to go about doing it in the best way possible or finding a path that works for you? I mean, I think it's just to be, do your best to be open. And I think that's really important is do your best to be an open person and be open to anything really because if you're open you're able to gain all these different perspectives and that's what's really important like you can cherry pick the different things that you want if you're able to be open to them that's why i love this job because i talk with so many different people Mm -hmm. and you know people think that therapists like they're helping people all day you guys are helping me too like i learned so many different things Mm -hmm. from everybody so um you know the ability to be open is kind of important when you're a therapist but also like when you're a person out in the world and talking to people, just try to be open so you can cherry pick those things and apply them to you as you need them. Throw them away when you don't need them anymore. Maybe pick them back up if you do need them in the future, but just be open and like don't stick to one coping tool. Like, okay, exercise is my coping tool, let's say. That might not work for you all the time. Maybe let's say you develop something with anxiety or like panic disorder in the future and like exercise could exacerbate that and it makes people really anxious to know I can't exercise that's my coping tool so now you don't have any coping tools so just being open to having I think a bunch of different coping tools and you know throwing them away if you don't need them anymore and picking them back up later when you're when you're ready perfect I think that is probably the number one thing to almost anything in life is being open and yes. vulnerable and vulnerable, honest. And staying away from self pity. Ugh. <laughs> that I found was my biggest thing forever. Oh my gosh. Poor me, poor me. It's something I lived in for way too long. In really? My life. Oh my gosh. Like the world owed me something. Like I'm the only one who went through shit mm-hmm. and lost a brother and sister. <laughs> right. I did. I walked around with this chip on my shoulder for so effing long. It was ridiculous. So thank God I don't have that anymore. Yeah. But it was, I mean, it just kept me from doing so much from any creative idea I'd come up with and started and it became difficult where I had to work hard at it. Mm-hmm. Nah, never mind. It just, it was so crazy. Like I expected to get rich quick kind okay. of thing, you know, not yeah. that I plan on getting rich through doing what I'm doing, but you know, I guess it's just kind of a figure of speech, but just, yeah, I didn't want to have to work hard essentially mm-hmm. to do something. And it was just ridiculous. Like you owe me universe because <laughs> <laughs> so i've been through so much yes i'm the only one who's had siblings die <laughs> they pet what did they pass from i'm um, a car accident oh okay yeah thanksgiving of 99 oh wow yeah so but i just it was funny because when that first happened i was like completely i don't even think i cried mm-hmm. it was one of those complete shutdowns oh all right i'm gonna go play video games okay kind of like it was just it was stuffed down there deep. Really? Yeah, it sounds like <laughs> it. It really was. I remember when I first started dealing with it, I would say probably 10 years after, you know, probably my mid-20s, mm-hmm. I just remember I was just, I wouldn't even call it crying, I'd call it weeping for like three or four days. Okay. Just not obviously every second of the day, but like just randomly weeping and oh, that gut-wrenching snot coming out, going through boxes of tissues, kind of weeping. The ugly crying. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah the ugly crying. So I remember, actually, I was, I think it was the first time I took mushrooms with my good friend. Mm-hmm. I remember we were laughing like that. And I remember like thinking, oh, that's the same. That feeling afterwards anyway is the same exact feeling you get after like weeping deeply. Just this lightness. It's wow. for completely different reasons. Yeah, I've never thought of but, it that way. That's amazing that you've mentioned that though. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, but you feel lighter. Mm-hmm. You feel so much better after you do it. Yeah. And I mean, even now I know, like, that's when I realized I got to teach myself to cry. And that's when I really started to uh, dig into my past and my brother and sister. And Mm -hmm. it was just, it was crazy. But now I have to keep myself from crying too much. (laughs) You can do that too. You can also do that. So I'm like, all right. But there's times I know when I start getting angry over something, 
like stupid it's like okay i must need to i must have to cry and then usually when I think about the last time I cried, it's been a while. Okay. I'm like, all right, I got to go do this. And so it, it doesn't take long for me to, to get it. And it just, it's something, it's just such a beautiful release. It's mm-hmm. the same exact feeling. You feel lighter, you feel weightless, and it's like so, something was lifted off of your shoulders. The exact same feeling as laughing, that deep laughing. I never thought of it that way, but that's a really good way to put it. Yeah. I wonder if you get the same like chemical release in your brain. That's interesting. Yeah. I would love to see that. Mm. I should start, uh, should go get a, what is it, the EEG scans? Oh, yeah. Yeah, do one next time I'm crying and see. <laughs> that would be interesting. But thank you for taking uh, time out of your busy schedule. Absolutely. Your puppy, I was wondering if I thought maybe we'd have more racket from her, but she just laid over there sleeping. That's why I got her there. Yeah. Like, she's super mellow. I'm like, she's perfect for me then. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm kind of like a crazy cat lady, so I love animals really? though. Yeah. But cats, they just kind of sleep all day. Yeah, they're they're pretty simple to take care of. Yeah, well, Those... she's not, but she sleeps a lot. <laughs> no, dogs are definitely a step up from uh, as far as the difficulty level. Mm-hmm. But that was one thing that was cool at Horizon Village, how they had the dogs come around. Oh, yeah. They had the therapy dogs. Mm-hmm. A good amount of them, actually. Was that helpful for you guys? I mean, for me, not, I mean, I didn't find, but I mean, I could, I observed how it helped a lot, okay. a lot of people. To me, a lot of the one dog was actually annoyed the shit out of me. And I did I did an episode with um, it was the vice president of Horizon Village, her dog. Oh, OK. And I we did a dog walk while I was there and I ended up walking him. He's a golden retriever. And I, remember I did a podcast with her and found out that was their dog. And I was like, oh, I love that dog. That dog was so awesome. I'm just kidding. <laughs> he drove me nuts. He drove me nuts. But. Yeah, but I did see, I see how much it really helped a lot mm-hmm. of people. Because they'd let you take them out on, you know, you can go outside and walk them. And, you know, there's there's some people who were, I'm sure, had dogs growing up and just were obsessed and yeah. helped out. And so it's just definitely a see. different dynamic, I think, with dogs. They can't tell on you or yeah, make yep. fun of you or anything. <laughs> <laughs> they do. Even I remember thinking that after my addiction first came out, I was like, oh, my dog still is just excited to Not see going me. going anywhere. <laughs> But yes, thank you for taking your time coming on here. Absolutely. And I will be staying in touch with you. Yep. And letting you know when this is coming up, probably Monday. Okay, sounds great. All right, Angela, thank you. You're welcome. Wait a minute. You're Sean Cuddy. All right, guys. Thank you for listening. As always, I love you. You're the best. That's right. Your support is incredible. It keeps me moving. It keeps me encouraged. It keeps the fuel in the fire burning and i hope you enjoyed that episode as always i think i complain about this every episode i guess i just need to stop because one day i will have a beautifully quiet office and studio to record in but i went in there with angela thinking all right cool she got an office it'll be quiet and of course there's a street right out there you hear cars whizzing by and everything else but it is what it is i guess the most important part is the information i've had to really learn and work on not being a perfectionist when it comes to that because as of now i don't have a place where I can go and that's always quiet and is convenient and perfect for recording and doing podcasts. So that is all. Again, if you have a chance to come out on the 18th to Horizon Village in Sanborn, New York at 6 p.m., come come out, check out one of my first big presentations that I'm doing. And I hope to see you guys there. Come up and talk to me afterwards. Let me know that you have listened and you do listen to the podcast. All right, guys. Much love. Peace out. That's right. Right. Oh, you better believe it.